the greatest thing that a leader can do within the church is to serve God's people. And Jesus models that for us. He didn't just tell us to do it, he showed us. So much so that he didn't just wash feet, he took on the sins of the world. He laid himself upon a sinner's cross, not his own, but ours, took our penalty, our shame, bore our burdens. He served us. Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. Chapter 12, let's pray, and then we will, actually, let's read verse 27 and 28, and then we'll pray together. It says, now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, and varieties of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do you all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the text in front of us tonight. We pray, God, that you would speak to us in the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for the way in which you designed the body of Christ to, um, to exist and interact with each other. And so, God, we pray that you would teach us uh, by your power, by your spirit, what it is to, um, what it is to have the gift of, of leadership and administration in the church. And so, God, we pray that you would make application by your spirit tonight. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you are just joining us here as your first time, we've, we've been going through verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book of 1 Corinthians. We've paused on chapter 12 to look at the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about an empowering that would come by the Holy Spirit with different individual gifts. Now, there's three different lists, all of which uh, do not include all of the same gifts. And so we've been kind of going through these one by one for the past few weeks. And tonight, we're going to be finishing our study of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we'll be jumping back into chapter 13. But as a reminder... We split these, these gifts into three different categories, which are the priestly gifts, which are the Old Testament offices that Jesus fulfilled of prophet, priest, and king. All of these gifts fall under one of those categories. So the prophetic gifts, the priestly gifts, and tonight we're finishing the kingly gifts. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, just as a reminder, are given to the church to carry out the ministry of the church until Christ comes. And these gifts are for our flourishing. And in order for us to flourish, God will plant us in a body of believers. And when you think about the culture that we are growing up into or growing into as a church, there is a, um, a philosophy that, I don't know if this is new or if it's something that's just continued since the book of Acts, but this forsaking of the gathering of believers, meaning like, and to put it in modern day terms, like, I don't really need to go to church. I have a church at my house, and I watch this guy on YouTube. And uh, I watch this guy, and then I do this guy, and then I, I go over here, and I, I listen to all these things. But we're not connected to a body of believers. Now, the Bible does not say, and let me just be clear here. 
The Bible does not say that the wrath of God is now shed abroad on those who do not go to church on Sunday. The Bible doesn't say that anywhere. doesn't say that if you miss a Sunday, like, you better repent hard on Monday because, you know, God's grace disappears on Mondays or whatever, okay? That's not what, what I'm saying here. But what I am saying and what I, I've noticed, and maybe you've noticed it too, is a growing idea within the culture that I don't need to be connected to a body of believers to have a relationship with God. That is somewhat true. You can go to heaven, be a part of, of that glorious time for all of eternity in heaven and and not be a churchgoer on Sundays. However, if you look at the book of Acts, when you look at the book of Acts, when God would add to the church, or when, when people would get saved, it says that the Lord then added to the church. If you look at what Jesus says about his church, now there's a lot of different things that people say about the church. The church is broken, it's messed up, it's full of hypocrites. <laughs> And that's absolutely true. Do you know why that's true? Because you're here. And at some point, and I don't mean that in a mean way, at some point we have to own up to that. Like the problem of the church is not necessarily just the leaders of the church, but it is the fact that the church is made up of sinners. Okay, so, so there is no such thing as a perfect church. There is no such thing. Until Christ comes, there is no such thing as a perfect church. Because you and I go to this church, it's not a perfect church. It's messed up. It's jacked up. Because we are, I am, I'm just going to talk about myself, I'm a broken person. Therefore, if the leadership is broken, what do we expect? But yet mistakes, disappointment, that's going to happen. The church is not broken and it's not messed up because Jesus is. It's because the people who make it up are. But it's designed in such a way that broken people can come and experience the, the fulfilling and the healing of Jesus Christ. That people should feel comfortable in the sense of coming to a place where everyone is broken just like me. Not in the sense that we live in sin just like them but we live victorious over sin, but yet broken by sin. And so we come to the healer, who is Jesus Christ. The church is, is messed up and full of hypocrisy because we go there. But if you look at what Jesus says about the church, that he will build his church, he said. And he still is. Christ is the one who is building the church. This is his project like, this is what God is doing. This is what Jesus has been doing since the book of Acts, is building his church. This is his one project. He's not multitasking. This is the one thing that he's building and working on. He also calls it the bride of Christ. The church is the bride. Like, if there's anything more precious, it is the bride on their wedding day coming down the aisle. Everyone stands and pays attention to her. No one cares about the guy. Not even the guy's family cares about the guy. Right? They're just like, oh, Willie, <laughs> finally. <laughs> I can't believe this girl's going to marry him. And you always can tell the differences, like in, in the bride speeches, when everyone's like, she's just majestic, and this just, oh my goodness, and wonderful. And then, and then the best man gets up, and they're like, this dirtbag right here. I mean, God, Lord help you, you know, or whatever. And everyone's like, <laughs> Anyway, so, <laughs> but if you look at that imagery, like, 
the bride is the most important thing to a husband, as a husband. There's nothing more important in my life other than God, than my wife. If you watch a wedding processional, okay, it's designed in such a way. There is a design to wedding processionals. That when a bride comes walking down the aisle, notice that the man just kind of skirts up the side and he's like, what's up, I'm here. Please let her show up, right? Here he is standing with the pastor before the Lord. And the bride comes down walking, walking down the aisle with her father. As she walks down the aisle, she is passing every person that she deems important in her life to be there. Even that weird cousin in the back. Important enough to be there on that day. Then she passes her parents and grandparents. Then she passes, as, as the father hands off the daughter, she then passes her most important relationships in her life, her friendships, her sisters or whatever, like me and my girls. She walks past them and stands before a representative of God himself. And what, the, what that ceremony entails is that every other relationship in comparison to this one takes a back seat except for the one with God. And this is what Jesus describes his relationship with us. He, des he describes it as the most important relationship in the world is between him and his bride. He cares about every part of it, every piece of it. Every person that is joined to Christ is a part of the bride of Christ. And so much so that as jacked up and messed up as the church is, Jesus laid down his life, shed his own blood for that bride. So this is the picture that we have within the church. This is why when people are like, I don't need to go. Listen, it's not just about you coming and sitting and hearing. It's about you being connected to Jesus Christ through the manifestation of the presence of God in every single one of us. Because when you get saved, not only are you saved, but you're added to the body of Christ. And through the gifting of the Holy Spirit, we see the presence and the power of Jesus through each other. So when you're like, ah, I don't need to go. Hey, if you're sick and you're like, you miss a day, listen, no condemnation to those who are Christ. But if you succumb to the temptation of the devil saying, just stay in your sweats and stay home, watch online because you don't need to go. Listen, that is not from Jesus. Paul said, do not forsake the gathering of believers together. Why? Because listen, this is important. As much as we hear God's word, and as much as we're poured into, we are here also to pour out from what God has given to us. We minister to each other through an overflow of the Holy Spirit to one another. And so, so the body of Christ is meant to minister to itself, one another, to pray for one another, to keep each other accountable for fellowship. And I just want to say this, the church is not responsible to give you friends or community. Like that, that's a fancy word for friends, okay? I'm just starving for community. What that means to me is you want friends, right? <laughs> I'm starving for that. You know, that's the church. It's not our responsibility to provide that. But the only way that you're going to experience it is if you jump in and join and be a part of it. I'm just not getting it. Well, perhaps it's because you're not joining it. I'm not experiencing it. Listen, it's not our job to provide you with friends, the church provides opportunity for that to happen. Absolutely. That's what fiestas are for. 
That's what beach hangs are for. These are for opportunity in which you can have community and have friends. But it is not my responsibility. It is not the church's responsibility to provide that for you and be like, this is going to be your new friend. You just walk in the door. This is Pete. He's your friend. Do you know that friendship happens by you being consistently pouring in, showing up. That's how you make friends. There's no magic trick. It's same as when you were in like school and you're like, hey, you want to be my friend? And they're like, yeah. You're like, okay, now we're friends. So every day we show up. It's the same scenario just within the church, a bunch of strangers who are like your age and have driver's licenses. But it is the responsibility of the church. Listen, we, the church, what they are designed to do, what God's uh, what God has tasked the church with doing is preaching and teaching the word of God for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And from that ministry overflows into a fellowship and a body of believers that are healthy and through healthy body produces healthy other bodies. It, it produce, they reproduce into others, meaning that we bring other people into the body of Christ. And so I just went off on some weird tangent and I apologize, but here we go. Why that matters is, so as God saves, he also adds you to a body of believers because uh, the Bible or, or Christ gave us his spirit, the church's pri its primary manifestation of the presence and the power of God today as we see it through each other. Now, as we're a body of believers, as this text tells us, Colossians 1.17 tells us that he is before all things. In him all things are held together and he is the head of the body, the church. Christ is the head. So as Paul is painting the picture of what the church is to look like, he's saying that Christ is the head of it. Your head. Without this, things aren't going real well, right? Yep, you need it. Like you need the head. So if the church has, is not about Christ and the church is not directed by the head, which is Jesus, what you have is, a, is a, a form that eventually will die out because there's nothing supplying it. And so the church is, is given us, or, or Paul gives us a description of how the church is to function. Now the scripture that we were looking at in chapter 12, verse 27, is uh, we have a list of those that God has set over his church to lead the church. These are the pneumaticus or, or the gifts that God had given to the church in the Greek. There's apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers, he says. And there are those who have the gift of administration. I do not have, and I can say this with total confidence, I do not have the gift of administration. You want plans, you want things on a schedule. I look at a calendar and I have a panic attack with all the lines and the squares and the numbers. I, I freak out. But my wife is like, Oh man, gift of administration. Bills are paid, things are done. And I'm like, woo! <laughs> Let's go have fun. And she's like, no, we have a schedule. Like there are things that, right? We, we, now, within the body of Christ, there are people that are appointed or given the gift of administration, but also given the gift of leadership within the church. That God has anointed those to lead the church. Now, Scripture's first mention of government is found, right? We want to use the law of first mention because that will define for us what it should look like. 
Isaiah 9, 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This is a verse we always read at Christmas. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment, with justice, with henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. This is the first mention of this word government. Now, government right now is a dirty word. And I'm so sick of hearing about it. And frankly, I just, whatever. But you, if, you didn't, if you weren't here last night, you should go back and listen to what, dude, crazy stuff. Prophecy update, Don Stewart, guy's the man. You should go back. He talks about the government. It's crazy. So, and I'm thankful for guys like him who know what they're talking about because I was lost. But here we go. When we talk about government within the church, this is what the Bible means. There is a king, and his name is Jesus. There is a king, and his name is Jesus. The church is to be a Christocentric theocracy, which is a, a fancy way of saying that we are centered on Jesus and that our lives revolve and what the church does revolves around who Jesus is. We point people to Jesus. We gather together to look at Jesus. We come together to worship Jesus. We go out on mission to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We also are ultimately ruled by God because a monarchy is only as good as the monarch. Throughout history, we can see the effects of bad kings. Like, even in the book of Kings, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, there's some bad kings. Now, the purpose of any government should be, and I preface it by saying should be, to promote the common welfare, promote domestic tranquility, establish and enforce laws that will guarantee the common welfare of a society. Government should seek to eliminate evil and to preserve the good. But if you look at all forms of government, monarchy, uh, a republic, which is what we were founded as, our country, a, total a totalitarian dictatorship, throughout history, man has proved that he is thoroughly incapable of ruling over his fellow man without corruption. This is why within the church, redeemed men who still have the stench of death upon them and that we are prone to sin. Therefore, we need the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us as we guide and lead the church. Genesis chapter 32 is where we see this idea of a theocracy. In Genesis 32, it's the birth of a new nation. Jacob was fearful uh, as he gets word from his brother Esau, if you remember the story, Jacob and Esau were brothers. Um, Esau was the firstborn, and Jacob was the secondborn. God made a promise that Jacob would be the blessing. Although he was supposed to be, the, as the secondborn, he was not to receive that blessing of birthright. Esau was. God flipped it because that's who God is. And his plans are higher than ours. So Jacob, taking matters into his own hands, his mom helped him out, was like, let's deceive your dad. Um, if you ever study through Old Testament history, what you learn is that there were some really jacked up families. And, and let it be encouraging to you. You think your family's jacked up? Just read some of this stuff. And you're like, what in the world? Jacob's, like, his mom favored Jacob because he loved to cook. And bake, and like it was like a he was just with his mom all the time. Esau was this rugged, 
redheaded, handsome guy <laughs> who uh, didn't mind killing stuff and was a beast of a human. And so his dad favored him because of the game that he would bring home. You know, he's shooting deer and he's like, here you go, dad, another one for the wall. And he put, you know, it was like Gaston, you know? <laughs> no one, all right. But Jacob, conniving with his mother, deceives their father and, and he pronounces the birthright blessing over Jacob. Jacob had already deceived his brother Esau and got, and got Esau to give him the birthright for a bowl of soup. And so here he goes into his father's tent and puts a bunch of camel's hair. This tells you how, like, or goat's hair, this tells you how hairy uh, Esau actually was. His dad touched his arm and he's like, yeah, that feels like Esau. Whoa. You're felt a goat? Like, that's, like, it's gnarly, gnarly hair. Um, <laughs> hello. Anyway, he pronounces this blessing over Jacob. Jacob runs for his life because he's like, dude, Esau's going to kill me. Years go by. Years go by. God blesses Jacob. Herds, cattle. I mean, he's got wives. I mean, just, like, God blesses, like, the mess that this guy made. And not because Jacob was, ja like, it wasn't because Jacob was so fantastic. His name means deceiver. It's not because deceiver was so great. It's because God is a blessing God. And God made a promise, and so he fulfills that promise. As Jacob is coming to meet his brother Esau, because Esau's like, I, I want to meet up. Like, let's talk. And Jacob is scared to death. This is what happens. It says, and he arose that night, in chapter 32 of Genesis, he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. Sounds like something from Star Wars. He took them, sent them over to the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint, and he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. This is the beginning of the nation of Israel. From him would come the people that we now know as the Israelites. Jacob, which means deceiver, his name would be changed to Israel, which means, does anyone know what Israel means? That's right, silence. No, it means governed by God. This is the first example of a theocracy in all of scripture. Here it is. He takes deceiver and he says, no longer are you going to be deceiver. You're going to be ruled and governed by me. And God blesses him and, and everything. But this is the only form of government that God ever endorsed and established is a theocracy. God ruling over the nation. Remember, a kingdom is only good as its king. But within that theocracy, God would appoint a representative as Israel would be then taken captive in Egypt through in circumstances of Joseph and the nation of Israel growing there in Egypt, 400 years and all that stuff. Book of Genesis, Exodus, read it. But through all of that, God would then desire to free his people from slavery and would use a representative named Moses. 
And as the leader and representative, he was guided and governed by the Lord. And remember at Mount Sinai, when fire and smoke thundered and lightning covered the mountain, the people said, Moses, you meet with the Lord. Like Moses is like, hey, God wants to talk to us. And God shows up on Mount Sinai and there's thunder and lightning and fire and the sounds that they've never even heard before. And they're like, eh, why don't you go? Sacrificial lamb. I mean, Moses. <laughs> and they send him along like, we don't want to talk to God. You go talk to God and you tell us what he says. And so there was this leadership within Moses as he would then be the representative to the people. As God would speak, he would speak to the people. And when they would set up camp even, even as they went through the wilderness and in the wanderings of the wilderness, when they would stop and when the pillar of fire would stop or the cloud would stop, they would set up camp. In the middle of the camp would be the tabernacle, the place where God dwelt. Their tents would then be around or surrounding the temple of God or the, play, the meeting place of God. Even their doors to the, the, their tents would be facing the tabernacle. So when they would get out in the, in the evening, they, had to, they were like, hey, I'm going to take a walk. I can't sleep. I'm restless. I need some goat's milk or whatever. They would open up the tent and there they're face to face with the pillar of fire dwelling over the tabernacle of God. They'd wake up in the morning, open their tent, walk outside for a cup of coffee. And there a pillar, a cloud over the dwelling place of God. And they're met with this very real representation that they were a people governed by God, led by God. But there was a representative in Moses who would speak to God for the people and would speak to the people for God. Even the covenant in which God made with the people. Listen, he says, if you faithfully obey the, the voice of the Lord, your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God, blessing shall be in your city and blessing shall be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of the womb and the fruit of the ground and the fruit of the cattle and increase in your herds and your young flocks. Blessed shall be your, your basket and your kneading bowl, meaning you're going to have food. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies to rise against you and you will be de defeated before you. They shall come out against you in a way that will flee seven ways. The Lord will command the blessed. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And God says, if you will allow me to govern you and to rule you and you will obey my commandments, this is the blessing that will follow. And what's really interesting is the next verse is God then says, if you disobey, this is what's going to happen. And they disobeyed. Listen, we have to understand that within the church, Jesus is the head of the church. It's not built on the charisma of a man. It's not built on any, it cannot be built on any other foundation. It cannot be built on a past, on a remnant. It cannot be built on that. It must be built on Jesus Christ. Because we as a church are Christocentric. We revolve around the cross of Jesus Christ and we are a theocracy, meaning God rules who we are. We follow him and him alone. We are not following a man. We are following the Christ man, Jesus. And God says, if you will be governed by God, this will take place. But sadly, they disobeyed. 
the leader or the representative of the Lord because of, of uh, men's bent towards power and lordship over others, man, we need, listen, and, and what I'm trying to describe to you is this kind of idea in which we see God the ruler, God the one that they're following, and God had a representative, those that would that he would speak to God and speak to the people. Within the church, God has set up this system in which God is speaking and leading his congregation through anointed men to do that. We still have some of that model today where men are leading God's church. Now, are they perfect? No. Was Moses perfect? No. Is God really serious about the way that he's represented? Yes. Does it scare me to death? Absolutely. Do I read the book of James and it says, let not many of you become teachers because you'll be held to a stricter judgment the day that you stand before God? Yeah, it scares me to death. Absolutely. It makes me wonder why my guidance counselor didn't like give me another option of like, hey, be a PE teacher or something else. It was like, pastor, that's what you're going to be. And like, are you sure? Absolutely. Great idea. If only I could be an Amazon truck driver. I don't think that like heaviness of, of whatever. But listen, we have to understand that the men that God places in government of the church or leadership or administration, they're given the gift of the, by the Holy Spirit. Those men are flawed men, but yet they're God's representative. And hopefully they are following God's lead. Hopefully their desire is to see King Jesus rule and reign, ultimately. Ultimately, hopefully they're not, they're not, um, just looking for power or lordship over others. But leadership, if you're like, man, I feel like God's called me to leadership. Some of you are natural leaders. Like any, everyone just picks you as captain. And you're like, I don't want to be the captain. But they pick you as team captain or some other more important role in your life other than dodgeball captain. But leadership begins, and scripture says in 2 Samuel 23, Verse three, the God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me, he who rules over men must be just ruling in the fear of God. Any person who takes, who has this baptism and filling and gifting of the Holy Spirit for leadership within the church, leading God's people, in order to be an effective leader and a good leader and a God-honoring leader, you better fear God. And I don't mean that in the sense of like just respecting. You better understand that God is God and you are not. Because ultimately with that position, people look to that position as thus saith the Lord. And what you say and what you direct, people think that's what God looks like. And that's what God says. Listen, it's no joke. God is very serious about the way that he is represented. Just ask Moses someday when we get to heaven. And he's like, dude, how was that 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and not getting to go into the promised land because you misrepresented God? And he's like, yeah, that was a bummer. That was a, that was a misstep on me, right? God's serious about it. Because just like in the way that when I talk to my son and I, and I tell him to go do something, like, hey, Go tell your sister that I said to come here. If he goes and says, Dad said come here right now. I didn't say that. I'm not mad. But now my daughter thinks I'm mad. So she comes whimpering like, what's wrong? Nothing. I just wanted you to come. I'm like, what did you say to your little sister? I told her she better come. 
that's not my heart. That's not how I was. But now she thinks that. In the same way, when we, when we stand in a place of leadership, and listen, all you have to do is stand behind a table that I made and put a microphone in someone and say, turn in your Bible, and people go, that guy, like, that's the leader. And what they say represents what God says. Dude, it's no joke. That's why we come, to, we come into this understanding, and every person who does needs to come with the understanding that God is God and we are not. There needs to be a reverential fear of who the Lord is. Not in the sense that you don't approach him as as your heavenly father who loves you and cares for you, but in a real sense that God is powerful and mighty and strong and he's the head of the church, not me. That it's not built on us. It's not built on our charisma and our gifting. It's built on the fact that Jesus is king. That's it. Now, in Romans 12, verse 8, he says, He who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Diligence to represent the Lord properly, he says in, in Romans chapter 12. Now, Jesus is the example, ultimately, of what it is to be a leader and what leadership looks like. Turn with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Jesus speaking to his apostles, it's shortly before he's going to go to the cross. And he wants to teach his disciples something. Chapter 13, it says, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel in which he was girded. Jesus, at this, this supper with them, Notice that supper had already gone, like they'd already eaten, like it's over. Normally when you would come into a person's house, the first thing they would do is they would have a servant wash feet because they would eat reclined on pillows, laying down. So like, can't demonstrate it, but you know what I mean? Just relaxed and your feet would be by other people, which yeah, your faces say it all. It's disgusting because uh, feet are gross. And so they would kind of recline back. And so first, they're, they're walking on dirt roads, all of that. Their feet would be disgusting. The servant, usually the lowest of the low on the servant board, would wash feet. No one had volunteered to wash feet before the meal. No one, not one of the disciples had decided, like, I'm going to take that position. I'm going to serve. No one. So Jesus, being a leader takes off his own robe, his own like jacket, girds himself with a servant's towel and begins to wash every one of their feet, including Judas. And he begins to wash their feet and Peter goes, what are you doing? Like, stop, what are you doing? You, don't, you shouldn't be doing this. And, and Peter has this moment of like, this is, this is, something's not right, you're above us. But what Jesus then teaches them is found later in this chapter in verse 12, he says, he says to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. So he starts with that. You call me your teacher and your Lord, and guess what? You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. 
you have washed, or he says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who has sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus turns to his disciples and seeks to teach them the greatest lesson of all, that if you were called, and these guys that were there in that room, minus Judas, were going to be the leaders within the church. And he seeks to tell them, like, as you lead, as you be an under-shepherd and as a representative of God, what I want you to do is exactly what I just told you to do and showed you to do, is I want you to serve. The greatest thing that a leader can do within the church is to serve God's people. And Jesus models that for us. He didn't just tell us to do it, he showed us. So much so that he didn't just wash feet, he took on the sins of the world. He laid himself upon a sinner's cross, not his own, but ours, took our penalty, our shame, bore our burdens. He served us. Matthew 20, verse 28 says, and whoever wants to be first among you may be slave. Just as the son of man did not come to serve, or did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus reminds us that those who are called to lead with the gift of administration, filled with the spirit of God, gifted in this way to lead God's people, they're not called to lord over people, but to serve all people. We're not called to lord over people or to use power to manipulate people. Jesus says we're to serve all people. That's what you are. No matter where you are, as a Christian, we're called to serve and to love and to take that position of low in order that others would be lifted up. And the same goes for those in leadership within the church and the way that God has set it up. Remember, the book of 1 Corinthians is written to a church that was so out of whack and there was so much disorder, it's written to bring order. And so he's writing these things down saying, listen, this is so disordered. We want to bring order into this situation. And those that are in in positions of power and leadership and those that are representative unto God, he says, you especially need to come to this level of servant. That we're always taking that, that spot of low upon the pole that we might represent the Lord properly. And listen, this is not easy right I, I love to preach about it like Jesus washed feet like we should too and it's like super easy to preach but it is so hard to humble ourselves isn't it it is incredibly difficult may I say it's not natural that's why it's supernatural this is why we need the Holy Spirit because it goes against everything within us Just like the disciples is like, I'm not washing feet. That's below me. That is way below me. Jesus says, nothing is below me. Like everything basically is below me. The earth is my footstool, but yet he humbled himself and washed feet. Like took the lowest of the low. This is why, gang, we need the Holy Spirit. Because this is not something that is natural to human beings. And if government has taught us anything within the world is that men are sick when it comes to power. And we love it. We're power hungry. We're power sick. 
we love to rule or to place ourselves above others. Just watch the movie Mean Girls. It's, it, that's the plot. It's, it's basically every government in the world, but in high school form. Like we just love to place ourselves above others and to look down on others and putting our place or putting ourselves in a place where we feel good about ourselves by putting down others. And Jesus says, if you're, if you're called to lead the church, or you're called to be up in, in this position of, of pastor, teacher, um, in, in any one of these forms, administration, all of that church government stuff. When Paul writes to Timothy, he uses the word bishop, which is the word episcopal, where we get the episcopal church, that it's run by a bishop. It's basically, that's where they get that word. It's, that's their government the way that their church government is run. Deacon is the word uh, Presbyterian or Presbyteros in the Greek. It's where the Presbyterians come from because they're a deacon-run board. It's, it's, and that's basically what these governments are. And, and that's how that works. And there's division over that. And crazy, whatever. He says, those that are put into bishop position, deacon position, you take the same position. It's the low place to serve. Listen, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. I don't know about you, but I'm super prideful. Like, I'll kind of admit it. I'm a prideful person. I hate serving sometimes. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Like, I would love for others to serve me. It's awesome. But you know that the church is designed in such a way that that's not how it's supposed to be? That's why the, the church is called a body. Because each part of it serves a purpose within it to benefit the whole. So if you're like, I'm just here to, to atrophy, what you become is a tumor. I'm just here to suck blood away from every other organ. You become an infectious, tumorous disease that has to be cut away. You're not functioning properly. If you're like, man, I don't need to be connected to the church, man. Guess what? You're a finger that's chopped off, just living off on its own. Eventually, the blood supply runs out, you stop wiggling. You become an atrophied part of the body. So listen, the way that God has designed it, and if you read the rest of chapter 12, the way that God has designed it is that each part of it has to take a place of serving the other. Just like Paul said, the, the hand cannot say to the foot, I do not need you. The eye cannot say to the ear, I do not need you. And this is the emphasis of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul lists these spiritual gifts and it's almost like he just throws them out there and he says, yeah, these are some of the gifts, but here's what I really want to talk to you about is that every part plays an integral part in the function of the church. In order for it to be healthy, we need to be connected to it. I mean, it needs to function properly. This is why we need the Holy Spirit because everything in us seeks greatness, but in the kingdom of God, serving is greatness. You know, there's a, a, a poll, and I'll close with this. They asked kids back in the 1960s, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, like, number one was, like, a cowboy. The other was, uh, I want to be a doctor and a lawyer. 2004, they asked youth, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they said, I want to be famous. Uh, I, want to be a, I want to be famous, and I want to be famous. That was the key, fame. I want to be known. And I think every one of us has a fear of not being known. We talk a lot about legacy, but listen, if your legacy is left here on earth and there's no legacy of heaven within you, you don't send it ahead to where it lasts forever, then it perishes here. You ever thought about how many people every single day die and we don't know anything about them? 
Do you think every single day that how many people, they live their life in such a way, maybe it's, they have an amazing legacy, but we will never know it. We don't know it. And half of us don't care about it. The only place in which it matters and lasts forever is heaven itself. So yes, we can live for like greatness on this earth. Jesus says, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, learn to be the servant of all. Because that's where legacy will be kept. It's in heaven. Not saying you live like a trash ball here and it's like, it doesn't matter. It does. But if it's only temporal and there's nothing eternal, then it burns away. So, no man can effectively govern God's people unless he is fully conscious that he first is ruled by God. And we'll end there. That is, hopefully you have some kind of, uh, you've grasped some of the gifts and it's given you more clarity than confusion. Um, But I hope and pray, and I know that we started with this, like, if you've never prayed to receive the Holy Spirit, like number one, if you're not saved, you don't have the Holy Spirit. If you haven't confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit does not dwell in you. He has not regenerated your soul, which means you will die in your sins and trespasses. And and hell is your destiny. However, if you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are brought to life by the Holy Spirit who now indwells you. You become the temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives in you. And forever, your destiny is heaven. And you've been gifted by the Holy Spirit to be an integral part of the body of Christ. Now, there's also the filling of the Holy Spirit. If you're like, man, I just feel weak. I feel empty. I feel dry. The Bible tells us to ask God for his spirit and he will give it. Like he's not going to hold it back. But it takes faith to to actually believe that you receive it. So as we pray, wherever you are um, with that, man, if you've never received Christ and you would like to, ask God. Like Don said last night, like, Lord, I don't know what these people got, but I want it. And if it's you, that's what I want. You don't have to go through some liturgical, like, thus saith the Lord, pray this little prayer, and this is how it goes. If you want Jesus, ask him, and he'll come into your heart. If you need more of the Holy Spirit, ask him. Ask God. He gives to all liberally without reproach. But you got to be saved. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We pray, God, as we just close in worship, Lord, that our hearts would be, um, again, just revived in you, brought to life in you, God. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you tell us in your word that you will not withhold that gift from us if we will ask. So, Lord, if there's anyone here tonight that needs to ask for that, Lord, I pray that just humbly coming to you and asking you for help, asking you for your power, perhaps it's to overcome sin in their life. They're just trying to fight it on their own and they can't and they're just ready to give up. Lord, I pray that you would reignite their strength by the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray if there's anyone who has a calling upon their life but yet they're running from that call and you've called them to lead and they're saying no, Lord, I pray that you would gift them with power from on high to accept that role and to walk in it. And Lord, we pray tonight that you would, again, minister to each of us individually. There's so many different needs and different people. 
Lord, you know what we need, and so God, we pray that your spirit would meet us. We love you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.